This is Mitchell McLam, lead pastor of Sapona Road Church in Fayetteville, North Carolina. We're so excited you found our podcast. Our prayer is that you're blessed by today's message. If you would like more information about Sapona Road Church or would like to give to this ministry, please visit our website at saponaroadchurch.com. We hope you have a great day and enjoy today's message. To begin to talk about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. But I think if you'll follow me in a few minutes, you'll understand why and where we're going. Luke chapter 11, verse 1 says, Now it came to pass, as he was praying in a certain place, when he ceased, that one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John also taught his disciples. So he said to them, When you pray, say. And you know this. This is the Lord's prayer, and that's what's so awesome to me about this. He says, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us day by day our daily bread and forgive us our sins. We also, for we also forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. But you can't take the Lord's Prayer in context without taking the rest of this conversation. And so he says in verse 5, Which of you shall have a friend and go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has come to me on his journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer within and say, Do not trouble me. The door is now shut. My children are with me in bed. I cannot rise and give it to you. I say to you, though he will not rise and give it to him because he is his friend, yet because of his persistence he will rise and give him as many as he needs. So I say to you, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you'll find. Knock, and it will be open to you. Remember where we are. Remember this conversation is taking place. Jesus has just taught the disciples to pray. He's just given them a model of prayer. He says in verse 10, For everyone who asks receives, he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks it will be opened. If a son asks for bread, any father among you, will he give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent instead of a fish? Or if he asks for an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? Verse 13 is where it all comes back around. He says, if you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? This is in the same conversation as Jesus teaching the disciples to pray. And I don't know about you, but I feel like I got a little bit of common sense most of the time. It must be important that Jesus is going to give the Holy Spirit. All of that has to pertain to a prayer life, right? He just said, I'm teaching you how to pray. This is how we pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. He goes through and then he says, but just the same way, in the the same conversation, just like from beginning to end today, the same conversation, he says, just as a good father knows how to give good gifts, even more so will the Father give you the Holy Spirit. That tells me that the ministry of the Holy Spirit is essential, and even Jesus' teaching 
that it is essential to have the Holy Spirit in our life, in our prayer life. You agree? So let's look at it. I hope this conversation's un- uh, at the end of this conversation, we understand that God simply wants to give us a gift. There's nothing to be forced. There's nothing to be pushed. It's simply a gift. I don't know about you, but I like receiving gifts. I enjoy receiving gifts. There are some times that I get gifts, and uh, I really don't like the Dirty Santa game. It's just me personally. Uh, if they're $5 gifts, it's always something that gets thrown on the shelf and it never gets used, Right? And what good is a gift if it's not fulfilled and it's not received? The gift is pointless if I don't put it to use, correct? And if it's this $15, $20, $25 game, I'm mad because I didn't get what I really wanted, right? I have this awesome, awesome, you can see it later, Kershaw pocket knife that uh, it was not the one that was at the Dirty Santa game that year. It was the one that looked like the one at the Dirty Santa game because I did not get the one at the Dirty Santa game. So I sat there and went on Amazon and bought me this knife that I wanted because I didn't get what I wanted. But then there was this one year I get a wallet, and that wallet still to this day, I believe, is in my nightstand drawer, never to be used because I don't carry that style of wallet. The purpose of the gift is useless if it's not received and put to use, right? Gifts only fulfill their purpose when they're received. The first thing we need to understand, and please stay with me, I'm not going to try to lecture you, but this is a lot of information. The first thing we have to understand is just because we're saved does not mean that we receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It does not mean that we've received the gift. The Holy Spirit dwells within us, and Scripture teaches us that. There's a difference between the indwelling that took place when you received Jesus and the baptism that takes place subsequent, meaning after the salvation. Okay? You need to understand that. I'll show you that in Scripture. It was the dwelling of the Spirit, the drawing of the Holy Spirit, that allowed us to be saved in the first place. Romans 8, 11 says, But if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. The only way we have life, the only way we have salvation, the only way we have eternal life is because the spirit dwells within us. You see that? Paul's teaching. That's pretty clear. He says, um, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. He also said in 1 Corinthians 12, 13, for by one spirit we're all baptized into one body. Whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, we all have been made to think and drink into one spirit. So you and I are a part of the family of God. We've been adopted into the one body. We've been adopted into this family only through the spirit. Right? You with me so far? The indwelling. But the baptism is different. I talked to you a little bit last week about baptism when we did the water baptism. The Greek word for uh, baptize is baptizo, and it means to submerge or immerse, which is why we believe that you're baptized in water by the immersion into water. We dunk them from head to toe in this cold tub of water Sunday morning. There's three types of baptism that take place here on earth. When you were saved, whether you realize it or not, you were baptized. First John chapter 5, verses 6 through 8 says, This is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. 
not only by water, but by water and blood. And it is the Spirit who bears witness, because the Spirit is truth. For there are three that bear witness in heaven. This is talking about the Trinity, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Spirit. These three are one. And there are three that bear witness on earth, the Spirit, the water, and the blood. And these three agree as one. John chapter 1 teaches us that the Word with a capital W is in fact Jesus. In the beginning the Word was God, the Word was with God, and all things were created by the Word, through the Word, for the Word. Then it says that the Word became flesh and He walked the earth. The Word is Jesus Christ. With me? So John says that there's three witnesses here on earth, and the three witnesses are Father, the Word, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit. You with me? Revelation 19.13 says he was clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. All three baptisms are seen in verse 8. We see the blood, Jesus, water, and spirit. When you're saved, the Holy Spirit baptizes you in the blood of Jesus. In Old Testament, there was the Passover. And the Passover was a place where God gave the people of Israel a command. He said, hey, go, go sacrifice your lamb, take the blood of the lamb, smear it on your, uh, your doorpost. And as the death angel comes through, he'll pass by you. It was the covering of the blood. When Jesus died on the cross, his blood was shed so that it covered yours and my sin. The only way that we have forgiveness, the only way the Holy Spirit draws us into a relationship with Jesus is by the baptism in blood. That sounds nasty and gory, but it's the, the real fact. Blood had to be shed, sacrifice had to be made, and now symbolically, thankfully I didn't have to get covered in blood to come into salvation, but when I accepted Christ, I was baptized in blood. You with me? After that point, what we did last Sunday was we baptized in water. After the baptism in blood, it's scriptural. We saw Jesus go to John, and he said, hey, I need you to baptize me. John said, I'm not worthy to baptize you. He said, no, scripture says that I'm to be baptized just like everybody else. I need you to baptize me. So we go to a disciple, and a disciple baptizes us. They immerse us into water, representing the death, the old things passing away, coming up new, Right? But then there's the third baptism. The third baptism is what we see in the book of Acts when uh, God sent the, the Holy Spirit. He sent his spirit down as Jesus had promised. And we see the people, the early church, baptized in the spirit. After salvation, Jesus baptizes us in the Holy Spirit. This is a, a great uh, way to sum this up. If you can keep up and write this down, it says, When we're saved, we become a new person. When we get baptized in water, the old person is cut off. When we get baptized in the Spirit, we get the power to walk in the new. I stole that from another pastor. I'm not going to claim that one, but it was pretty good. When we, get when we get saved, we become a new person. When we get baptized, the old person's cut off. When we're baptized in the Spirit, we receive power to walk in the new person that we have. Baptism of the Holy Spirit is evident in Scripture. We see it. In the beginning in Acts chapter 2, but we also see it in Acts chapter 8 in verse 12, verses 12 through 19. But when they believed Philip as he preached the things concerning of the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus, both men and women were baptized. Then Simon himself also believed, and when he was baptized, he continued with Philip and was amazed, seeing miracles and signs which were done. 
Up to that point, they've believed the message of the gospel. They've been baptized in blood. They've been baptized in water. They have not been baptized in spirit. Verse 14 says, Now when the apostles who were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent Peter and John. Why did they send Peter and John? They sent Peter and John because Peter and John were full of the Holy Spirit. They had been baptized. Peter stood up on the day of Pentecost, and he delivered this message that hundreds of people, turning into thousands of people, ended up coming to know Jesus. They come to know. They received the baptism. So they sent Peter and John to them who, uh, when they had come down, prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For as he had yet, uh, as yet he had fallen upon none of them, they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. They laid hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. There's two separate instances. And this is a very, I'm, I'm taking a minute because it's a very defining moment. If you've not been a part of the Pentecostal church, or you've not been a part of a church that believes in the baptism of the Holy Spirit, you need to understand this is where we get our scriptural basis from. This is where we understand the disciples in Acts uh, chapter 2, the beginning of the book of Acts, they knew Jesus. They had a relationship with Jesus personally. They had walked with him. They had talked with him. They had seen the miracles, the signs and wonders, yet still he said, you need more. In Acts chapter 19, it's interesting that this is um, so, so much longer later. We actually see this take place over years. So, this didn't take place all on the day of Pentecost. Acts chapter 8 took place years after, and then even Acts chapter 19 took place quite a few years after that. So the theory that the, the Holy Spirit and receiving the baptism of the Holy Spirit was only for the day of Pentecost is crushed in itself in the book of Acts. You with me? So in Acts chapter 19, verses 1 through 6, And it happened while Apollos was at Corinth that Paul, having passed through the upper regions, came to Ephesus. And finding some disciples, he said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said to him, We have not so much heard whether there is a Holy Spirit. Family, that's scary. First of all, we see under, from the get-go, we understand Paul sees an importance. He knows they believed, right? Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? So he knows that they're believers, so we understand that it's important on top of us being believers that there's something extra. Paul, who wrote the third of the New Testament, said, hey, uh, it's important that have you received the bath, have you received the Holy Spirit? And they said, we've not even heard as much of the Holy Spirit. That question, that comment, their response is what drives my thought process and what has driven us to teach this entire series and, and drag it out and do our very best to explain it. Because we need the ministry of the Holy Spirit. It's a crying shame for anybody who loves Jesus, who's trying to live a Christian life, who's trying to go throughout life to, to step back and say, we have not even so much heard that there is a Holy Spirit. And maybe we've heard it, maybe we know, maybe I'm just, if you know all this, that's great. I hope I'm giving you some ammunition because it ain't for you to keep it. But He said, I promise that you know people, whether you realize it or not, you know people that are not walking in the, the ministry, they're not walking their life out of the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And truly deep down, they're probably walking through life with this mindset, I don't even know who, what, it, the Holy Spirit, what in the world is the Holy Spirit. And so Peter, or Paul said, 
Into what then were you baptized? So they said, into John's baptism. Then Paul said, John indeed baptized with a baptism of repentance, saying to the people that they should believe on him who would come after him, that is on Christ Jesus. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came upon them, and they spoke in tongues and prophesied. It could be said of so many of our Christian people today that are striving to live the life that God's called them to live, They've not heard or they're not tapping in into the ministry of the Holy Spirit. We're talking about one-third of the person of God. God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. What are we missing out on if we don't have all three baptisms? We're not walking in the completeness, the fullness of what God has for us. Doesn't mean we're going to hell. You've got the first two down, Pat, the first one down, Pat. We've got an insurance plan keeping us out of hell. But what about the fullness of what God has for us? So what are the details? It was promised in Acts chapter 1 when Jesus himself said, he said, being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you've heard from me. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. We know that they went and they sat in that upper room and they waited. And in Acts chapter 2, verse 1, it says, When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were with all in one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as a fire, one sat upon each of them, they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them the utterance. And Peter promised it to you and to I. Later on, he's preaching. He says, Peter said to them, Repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus for the remission of sin, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Again, it's a gift for the promises to you and your children and to all who are afar off, as many of the Lord our God will call. It wasn't just for that day. It wasn't just for those 120 people. It wasn't just for the people of that early church. It's for you and for I, and it's a gift that God's trying to give us. So what is the gift? First of all, the gift is power. Acts 1 and 8, Jesus said, But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you shall be my witnesses, shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Not just power, but power to do ministry. Authority to do ministry. Not only do we receive power, but we receive joy. There's a special joy that comes when being filled with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit works in our life in a different way than He did before. And things that should tear us down, mourning that should pull, pull us down, now there's a new oil of joy that cover, covers the mourning. There's a new anointing. There's a new uh, blessing on our life, and it's through the baptism of the Holy Spirit. He also gives us wisdom. We see this throughout Scripture, throughout Peter's works. He was a nobody. He was nobody trained, nobody special, yet it was a time after he was baptized that he was astounding the religious teachers. We also receive a special prayer language. What about tongues? First of all, if we're not careful, we've made receiving the baptism of the Holy Spirit about speaking in tongues. 
we've made the baptism of the Holy Spirit about speaking in tongues. We do not receive speaking in tongues. We receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in tongues. You with me? We seek the baptism. We have to understand there's two types of tongues mentioned in Scripture. Tongues is the fancy way of, it's the translation of languages. We see speaking in tongues addressed by Paul very clearly as more of a corporate setting. There's a gift uh, of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit gives some a gift to speak in tongues, but it's more so to prophesy or to give a message to edify the church. Paul teaches us that if this is done, order should be kept in the church. He said if, if, if somebody speaks in tongues, if the Holy Spirit speaks in tongues in a corporate setting, a worship setting, there should be an interpretation. God is not a God of confusion. He is not a God of disorder. Things are to be done orderly and in good conduct. Things are, should, are to be done in decency and in order. You with me? I've heard people say they can't control it. Excuse me, but I call bull. That's wrong. You control to open your mouth to allow yourself to speak in tongues. You can control yourself to close your mouth and remain decent and in order and have yourself a prayer time all you want to to yourself so that you're not causing confusion. If I'm wrong, you want to talk about it later? We'll talk about it later. God's a God of decency and order. I'm not talking about a prayer language. I'm talking about a message given in tongues. And then there is the prayer language. The prayer language is not designed for the church. It's not given to us for the body. Scripture even teaches us that it's given to us for us. Prayer language is scriptural. 1 Corinthians 14, 2 says, For he who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God, for no one understands him. However, in the Spirit he speaks mysteries. Paul said again in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verses 14 through 17, For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my understanding is unfruitful. What is the conclusion then? I will pray in the Spirit, and I'll also pray with understanding. You need to understand he's saying that when I pray in tongues, I don't understand. It's unfruitful. Personally. He said, when I pray in tongues, I don't understand. It's unfruitful to me. So what's the conclusion? I pray in tongue and I pray in understanding. I pray in my language. I pray for me. It's in English. He said, I'll sing with the Spirit, I'll also sing with understanding. Otherwise, if you bless with spirit, how will he who occupies the place of the uniform say amen at your giving thanks, since he does not understand what you say? For you indeed give thanks well, but the other's not edified. This is some of his instruction. What good does it do me if I come to this pulpit and I start praying and I pray in tongues from 11.30 when I took this microphone until 12.30 when I let you go in a few minutes. Just kidding. What good does that do? Is it possible? Yeah. Does it edify you? Absolutely not. 
there's wisdom that's in this as well. It's for our benefit. Romans 8, 26 and 27 says, Likewise, the Spirit also helps in our weakness. For when we do not know what we should pray for as we ought, the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. The word uttered could be translated as understood. Now he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is saying. The mind of the Spirit is because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. That means when I'm in my funk and I'm beat down, busted up, broken, and just at no place where I can even comprehend what to pray to the Father, the Spirit living inside of me, the baptism of the Spirit, the fullness of the Spirit, my prayer language still gives me a lifeline to heaven. A lifeline that's so deep that I don't even really know what myself to pray. I don't even really know what I need. I don't even know what God, I, what God, I don't even know what I need you to do for me. But my spirit, your spirit within me knows and he's reaching out to heaven for me. First Corinthians 14, 4. Paul said, he who speaks in a tongue edifies himself, but he who prophesies edifies the church. The word but in this original language is not the same but that we would hear it as. We hear but and we change gears and we think, well, that first part of that didn't matter. The, the second part is what we need to hear. That's not really the way this should work. It should be an and. The original language should be an and and it should say, he who speaks in a tongue edifies himself and he who prophesies edifies the church. When we speak, when we pray in our language, the God-given language that we have, we edify ourselves. You want to be encouraged? Go get in your prayer closet and begin to pray in the language God's given you. You want your spirit lifted? You want your, the joy to come over you? You go. I promise you cannot get up from a place where you've been praying and been praying in the spirit. You cannot get up and be in the same mess you were in when you got there. It's not possible. When we pray in the Spirit, we edify ourselves. Prophecy edifies the church. And you know this passage of Scripture, but Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 20. Paul says to the church of Ephesus, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, uh, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up your whole armor of God, and we'll quote this in a heartbeat, that you may be able to withstand evil in the day, having done all to stand. Stand, therefore, having girded your waist with the truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, having shod your feet with the pre uh, preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, take in the shield of faith, which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one and take the helmet of salvation, the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. But then we want to stop. But he says, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. And for me, that utterance may be given to me that I may open my mouth boldly 
to make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I'm an ambassador, I'm an ambassador in chains, that it, in it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. He's given the process of speaking in tongues in verse 19. He says, for me, the utterance that may be given to me, that means the words that are given to me by the Spirit, I then have to open my mouth and boldly make known the mystery of the gospel. We have tongues so that the Spirit may pray on our behalf, things that can't be understood. We have tongues that we may be edified and lifted up through our obedience and pray it in the Spirit. So how do we receive the baptism? Well, it's pretty simple. Those individuals that we baptized last week simply said, hey, I want to be baptized. And I asked them a question, do you know Jesus? Yep. Let's baptize you. The baptism in the Spirit is no different. Because Luke said that if a father who is evil would give good gifts, how much more will the Father give the Holy Spirit? He said, ask. You'll receive. This is what kind of came to the forefront for me this morning. If you look back at Luke chapter 11, I've never seen this. Our outline of what it is that is needed to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit is in the Lord's Prayer. First of all, worship. This early church was a worshiping church. In most instances, when they received, they were gathered together and they were worshiping. And they were filled with the Spirit. Jesus said, you pray our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. That means your name be set apart. It be great. It be above everything else in my life. He starts off teaching, hey, let's start this prayer with a prayer of worship. Not only worship, but then there's the desire to be empowered. He said, let your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And I preached an entire sermon series on this idea that we are the kingdom. God, let us get in order that the kingdom be here on earth as it is in heaven. Let us expand this kingdom. Let us make a difference in the world. The way we do that is empowerment for ministry. The way that God's kingdom comes here on, on earth as it is in heaven is through you and I spread, opening our mouth and spreading the love of Jesus in every way that we possibly can. So he said, first of all, you worship, and then you've got a desire for ministry. You've got a desire to see people changed. And then there's a thirst. Give us day by day our daily bread. We're told to hunger and thirst after righteousness. That means I can't be satisfied with what I've been given today. Tomorrow, I have to understand I need a new, I need new provision. I need more. God, I need more of you. I'm a thirsting. And then there's repentance. Because Peter said, repent of your sin, be baptized, and then be filled with the Holy Spirit. 
Jesus said, the way you pray is forgive us our sins as we also forgive everyone who's indebted to us or everyone who's trespassed against us. The bottom line is we ask and he gives. See, I think we've missed, I had missed, I've done studies on the Lord's Prayer and taught it and preached it and never read down to rightly divide the word, never read down the rest of this chapter to tie all this back in together. Jesus is trying to say, hey, here's your example. You need the Holy Spirit. Here's how you pray. Persistence. God's timing is not always our timing. He said, your friend's not going to get up because they want to get up out of the bed and give you bread. They're going to get up because you aggravate the snot out of them until they do. That doesn't mean we beg God. We simply ask for the gift. But then there's a certain faithfulness that comes. Sometimes the moment we ask for that baptism, it happens. But then there's times where God is seeking some faithfulness from us and watching us hunger and thirst for him. Do we really want that empowerment? So the question is, have you received the baptism? If you have, what are you doing with it? Those that were baptized in water last week, I sure enough hope they're dry by now. It's not evident that they were baptized in water last week. The only thing that would show that they've, they've made any difference in their life is by the way they live it. We have the weapons of warfare. Paul said we don't fight against flesh and blood. We're fighting against the unseen world. And I've given you this unseen weapon to fight with. And it's the mysteries of God. I can't, I've explained it the very best that I can explain it to you to the best of my belief. And the rest of it is going to be up to you seeking the Lord and Him showing you what it is you need to see so that you can understand. Would you stand with me? My prayer and my challenge from the beginning of this series of conversations has been that you just ask God for more. I didn't really tell you exactly how you would speak in tongues because it's not really relevant, but I will tell you this. God's not going to take your tongue and start flapping. He's not going to open your mouth and start doing something crazy. There's no losing control. It's a gift. Don't give me a gift and tell me how I got to use it. Right? You don't give me a gift, you're giving me a gift. I see the benefits. God's not a controlling God. The Bible says that 
They were filled with the Holy Spirit, and they, be- they begin to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave the utterance. God did, did not do that. They did it. The Holy Spirit provided the mysteries of heaven, whatever it is. I don't have to understand. You don't have to understand. He provided it, and they opened their mouth to speak it. Paul said, if then I speak with tongues of men and angels, if I do. It's not required. You don't have to. I would never want anybody to ever have the misconception that I had for so long. That God's just going to take some crazy control over you and and, and he's going to make you do things that you don't understand. Absolutely there's things I don't understand. And sure, I don't understand the language. It's not for me to understand. That's one of the crazy mysteries of this that you can't really wrap your mind around. It's faith. Think about it. You were crazy enough to accept the fact that a man died on a cross for you and his blood covered your sin, and now you get to make it into eternity in heaven. I'm just being honest. You think I'm crazy. We're all crazy. We're not. We have faith. We believe that wholeheartedly. And the exact same faith that it takes to believe that is the exact same faith it takes to understand that there's more. And then when that comes, the baptism comes, the fullness of the Spirit. The Spirit that lives inside of me does something radical, and Jesus baptizes me, submerses me in that Spirit. That there'll be evidence that I'll have the boldness to open my mouth and whatever comes to my mind and whatever comes to my heart, whatever comes from my belly, out of my belly will flow rivers of living water and whatever comes up will come out. And in boldness, I'll open my mouth, as Paul said, and proclaim the mysteries of God. My goal has been, from the beginning, is just to make sure That whenever you get to a place in your life, you're ready to receive the third baptism that you're educated. That it's not some scary thought for you. It's not something foreign that, to the very best of my ability, I've educated you and give you knowledge in your head so that it can sink into your heart and you understand God's got to do the rest. I pray that you just would ask for more. It doesn't have to take place here. I've heard so many crazy stories, and I say crazy. They're not really crazy. There's one pastor in Georgia. I love his story. He was at a youth camp. He was telling it how he received the baptism. He was a preacher's kid. He was out cutting the grass one day, and he had been running from a call to ministry. And I don't really know what happened with him. I guess something crazy happened, but he said it was the power of God come on him, and he got off the mower and just let it keep going, and he was praying in in the heavenly language and baptizing the Holy Spirit. He was called in the ministry, out sweaty, nasty, cutting grass. At youth camp a couple weeks back, I watched this teenage girl who had just been baptized in the Holy Spirit go from the tabernacle and walk all the way across that parking lot, stumbling over her own feet to go to her dorm. I listened to her pray in her heavenly language all the way across that parking lot. It's different for everybody. It's not the same. This guy, this guy has not been down and rolled on the floor and 
just haven't. Not that I see anything wrong with that whatsoever. I'm just telling you, I, it's not me. I was scared to death to receive a gift. And when I finally overcame the fear, I understood it was just a gift in the first place. So I pray that you, as we leave today, that you would ask for more and that you would begin to hunger and thirst that you would let your worship be a worship that's seeking after more. Father, I love you. I thank you, God, for who you are. I thank you for the promise that was fulfilled when you sent your Spirit to us. Holy Spirit, I thank you for your ministry, the work. I thank you for my prayer language. I thank you that when I don't know what to pray, I, my feelings are all messed up, my mind's messed up. I thank you that I can have the boldness and the faith to open my mouth and allow you to pray for me, and I'm edified, I'm lifted up, I'm encouraged, I'm filled with joy. I thank you, God, that you've given us weapons of warfare that match the battle that we have to face. I thank you that you've given us an outline, you've given us scripture, you've allowed us to see evidence of what you want to do in us. God, what you have for your church, I thank you that you're a good, good father. A father that withholds nothing according to your will to his children. Lord, and it's according to your will that each and every one of us receive the gift of the baptism of your spirit. God, and I pray that as we seek more of you, as we seek you with everything that we are, I pray that you would give us more. God, I pray that you bless your people as we go today, that you bring us back, God, that you keep us within your arms of protection. Bless our families. Allow every place we go and every person we come in contact with, Father, to see our love for you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.